Smart entrepreneurs, executives, and managers are always looking for ways to improve things and take their business to the next level. You know that if you don't keep moving forward, you get left behind. But what if all you needed to do was look in the mirror? What if you could unlock your own hidden power for more business success? How sweet would that be? Here to help us with that today is my guest, Master Executive Coach and Transformational Leadership Expert, Dr. Donna Stoneham. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Dr. Donna Stoneham. For more than 25 years, she's helped hundreds of Fortune 1000 and not-for-profit leaders, teams, and organizations unleash their power to thrive through her company, Positive Impact, LLC. And she's also the author of the award-winning book, The Thriver's Edge, Seven Keys to Transform the Way You Live, Love, and Lead. It's an Amazon number one bestseller, and it was named by BuzzFeed as one of the nine awesome books for your kick-ass career. That is terrific, and I can't wait to hear some of her kick-ass advice for shaking loose some of that transformational mojo. So welcome to Business Confidential, Donna. Thank you, Hannah. I so appreciate your having me on your show. Oh, this is fabulous. Donna, you've been coaching business leaders for such a long time. Tell me, what inspired you to write The Thriver's Edge? Well, it was a a, a cold and rainy night in Berkeley, California, now almost, I guess, five years ago, and um, I was um, listening to this beautiful song by bluegrass singer Laurie Lewis, and the song was called Sirens. And um, there's some lyrics in the song that said, come in, let go, it's what we want, we know it's what you want, it's what we want for you. And I had this sense at that moment that I was supposed to write this book and that I had spent my whole life learning the things I had learned to be able to uh, put this out into the world. And that was the inspiration to write it. And then it came with a caveat, which is before you can write it, you have to live it. So the next year was really spent um, kind of digging deep into my own understanding and experience of what thriving was and what it wasn't and how I could articulate that in a way that other people could use it uh, to help them lead the kind of life and have the kind of career they wanted to have. Interesting. Now, in your book, you talk about the seven keys to improving your ability to thrive, to to Mm -hmm. increase performance and engagement. Just so that our listeners have an overview of that formula for success, what are those seven keys? And then we'll dive into a few of them. Sure. Well, I think it might be helpful to start with why it's so important. And one of the reasons why it's so important is because only 56% of people in the United States believe they're thriving. 
And when you look at engagement, only three out of ten workers are engaged at work. And 65% of managers are actively disengaged at work. And so, you know, obviously we have a huge problem. And I think that there are seven keys that can help people enhance engagement because when we're more engaged, we're more productive. And the keys that I've come up with that I've been working with are trust, humility, resilience, inner direction, vision, expansiveness, and responsibility. And essentially what I mean by those is that you have to have trust in yourself, most of all, in the people around you, and in your purpose for what you're doing, or it's very hard to... Um, to be able to navigate the world in a way that's going where you're actually going to be able to thrive and not just survive. And humility, I really couch in this notion of we have to have confidence. That's critically important. But, but we display confidence with humility. So it's a paradox, but it's a really important one that we show up in a way that allows people to have confidence in us and what we're bringing to the table, but that is also comes from a place of, of humility and not hubris. And then resilience is making sure that our well is full so that we can, we can uh, be there for others in the way we want to be. But as I say in Texas where I grew up, you can't get water from an empty well. So it's a lot of the practices and things we need to do to be able to stay resilient. And then with inner direction, it's learning to really trust our intuition, our own what I call inner compass, and how to follow that more and trust that more instead of um, allowing everything that happens to us to be predicated on the whims of others around us or on others' expectations of us. And then vision is really learning how to walk into our purpose and the vision and the, the, the vision we have for our lives and our careers and the difference we want to make in the world and how we do that one step at a time. And expansiveness is being able to see life through a larger lens so that we're able to really understand what's happening around us and engage in conversations and um, in a, at a deeper level, uh, understand where people are coming from, really learning how to listen to other people's perspectives which broadens our own horizons and allows us to see the world in a larger way. And then finally, and the reason why this I, end, I start with trust and end with responsibility, is that if we're not responsible for the choices we're making every day in every way, if we're not the drivers rather than the passengers in our life, we're never going to accomplish what we set out to. We're never going to be successful, and we're not going to teach people that we lead to take the responsibility for their own lives and live into that in a way that's powerful and that helps them thrive and then unleashes leadership below us. I love that concept about being the driver and not the passenger in your in your own life, waiting for things to happen. Now, that's great. In uh, these seven keys, you start off with trust, and mm-hmm. that is one of my favorite topics. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Why sure. is it so critical, and why is it so low in so many organizations? If you look at, at how teams function, and I mean effective teams, highly effective teams, one of the foundational elements is trust. And when trust is broken or breached, it makes it really hard for people to be innovative, to be creative, to offer their best. And it creates a lot of disengagement. 
So I think that's why low trust in organizations, you know, has such a detrimental effect. And a lot of times, you know, what I find in organizational life is we often will, without being consciously aware of it, will replicate old patterns from either old work experiences or even family experiences that we've had. So if we've been betrayed, and most of us have at one time or another in our lives, we bring that in with us, and it's we're less likely to trust other people. So creating an atmosphere of trust where people are able to speak honestly, to have courageous conversations, to step into the fray when they need to, but to do it in a skillful way is a really important part of building trust. And also learning how to, what I call, expand our circle of trust is is a critical component of being able to do that. I think there's three stages to the process. And, you know, the worst person we can betray is ourselves. A lot of us do this more frequently than we'd like to admit. So we may, for instance, take a job that doesn't really suit us because we can make more money, but we know we're really not going to be happy. So that's like a self-betrayal. That's an example of one. And I think we have to first learn to trust ourselves to make the decisions we need to make that are right for us. And then how do we extend that to trusting others? And that's what I call, you know, expanding. You know, it's a two-way street. It's mutual trust and respect is how people are able to navigate and create safe work environments where people are able to really bring their best and not be afraid to do that. So, for example, I worked with an executive coaching client in the technology industry. And generally when I start working with a client, I do a series of interviews with with stakeholders to find out, you know, what's the difference between, or if there's any mismatch between that person's intentions and other people's perceptions. And in this case, there was low trust of others for this person. So one of the things that we had to do was to work with him to help him learn to trust himself because his trust in himself was pretty low. And then we had to work to, to expand his circle of trust. So what I mean by that is if you've got five or six people in your inner circle that you trust and maybe 20 people in the next circle that maybe you could but you're not sure, you, bring, you start to bring those people into the inner circle by building relationship, by learning how to have critical conversations that are important with people, developing skill in that area by being authentic. And so these were all things that we worked on with him to help him expand his circle of trust. And he's gone on to become quite a leader in his industry as a result uh, for him working on the trust piece, which was so critical. And how long did that process take? Well, I worked with him for uh, about nine months. And then he continued to integrate what he learned through, you know, and to this day, we stay in touch, is still really doing remarkable things in the world. And and he attributes a lot of that to learning how to integrate his emotional understanding with what I call relational intelligence, and that is how he interacted with other people and the impact it had. So it's really deepening those skills and learning how to trust himself that's really enabled him to move forward in a powerful way. That's fascinating because I think sometimes when – Leaders are asked to rebuild or restore trust in a low-trust environment. They expect things to happen very quickly, and then when it doesn't, they get frustrated, fall back to their own patterns, which just deepens the chasm that they're trying to dig out of. I think it, I think you're really right about that, Hannah, and I think that 
when I work with coaching clients, help them understand that we develop as human beings in biological time. <laughs> so why do we expect that, you know, in five minutes we're going to change? There, we have to change the habit patterns that we have that, you know, they're practices that change to new habit patterns that will help us show up differently. And it does take time. And it takes it's a two-step forward, one-step back opportunity that we have. And it all starts with self-insight and self-awareness. This is fascinating. Let's talk about the humility piece. That was another one of your keys. I find that one fascinating for a number of reasons because, on the one hand, so much of the business press portrays successful business leaders as boastful and larger-than-life figures who never let anyone see them sweat. And yet some of the other keys that you've identified in your formula, um, listening and the trust, I mean, that's making yourself vulnerable to a degree. How do you reconcile that when you're coaching a client about humility? You know, you talked about confidence. But, you know, for someone that is, is, is out there and bragging sort of Donald Trump style, how do you talk them off the ledge? Well, in order for people to really be authentic, they have to have some element of vulnerability, at least a willingness to have some element of vulnerability. And what I have found coaching, you know, hundreds of leaders over the years is that when leaders are willing to really look at themselves and really be honest and really own some of that, and even telling their people, look, I don't know, but I'll get the answer for you, or I did this and it didn't work for me, or don't repeat my mistakes, it's not going to be helpful. That can be one of the biggest gifts you can give to the people below you. Because when people below you see your humanity and your vulnerability, and I don't mean in a weak kind of way, but I mean in an honest kind of I'm a human being too kind of way, it gives people permission to make mistakes. It gives people permission to learn. It gives people permission to grow in ways that when you have a fear-based environment, don't allow for that. One example of that is uh, I worked with a, a, a guy who actually was uh, was a, was an attorney and um, worked pretty high up in an organization. And I asked him one day, he was very boastful, um, bordering on arrogant, and people were afraid of him. And I asked him one day to talk about his, his family, and he was telling me he had, he had a couple of, of little girls. And I said, do you want your daughters to marry someone like you? And he, like, stopped dead in his tracks, and he was like, no. And I said, well, do you think you're that much different at work than you are at home? And that was, like, the entry point for him to actually be able to have conversations about the importance of vulnerability and how, as he was able to acknowledge that in himself and start showing up differently and getting feedback and asking for feedback from other people... It was it was like a sea change for him. And this guy that people have been avoiding now became a guy that they would actually go to and ask advice and sit down with because he, he opened up his human side to other people, and they felt welcome to have those kind of conversations. So well, I sure, think it's when a, you're asking, Yeah, because when sorry, you're asking ahead. for advice, you're making yourself vulnerable. You're saying, hey, I don't know which way to go here. So why is someone going to make themselves vulnerable if, if they're going to hit a wall? I mean, that, that stands exactly. for reason. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I call it confident humility, 
because I think either thing can be, it's like two sides of the same coin. You know, it's like either side, if overplayed, is not really helpful. But having both together and integrated is very powerful. Fascinating. Totally, totally, totally. So in your experience in working with business leaders, what keeps them from adopting just even one of these seven keys to thrive? What What is holding them back? So I was asked this question recently. I was in this HR forum with a group of HR directors, and we were talking about the book, and we were talking about the keys. And one of them asked me, she said, what do you think is the single most important key in this in this group for people to really be able to thrive and to thrive sustainably? And I think it's the last one, and I think it's responsibility. And I think that's what keeps people from really stepping in and adopting even one of these keys, which I think most people, you know, not all seven keys are applicable to every single person. Some we gravitate more towards than others. For me, it was trust, and it was really learning how to trust myself and really how to le- learning how to trust others. And once I was able to really do that, it opened up a whole new world for me. But for for others and for most of us, I think that it starts with taking full, une- you know, unequivocal responsibility for our lives. And we get easily caught in what I call these cultural trances, where we are in the organi- whatever organization we work in. And if it's a fear-based organization, we can make the choice at every moment how we choose to respond to that. Are we going to, what I call, jump in the boat and join everybody else in the water cooler and talk about it? Are we going to take personal responsibility to do what we can to affect change around it? And it's we're constantly given choices that we get to make. And where are we going to make those choices and how are we going to make them? is the critical link, I think, to people wanting to, and you have to want to do this. You have to want to change. You have to want to transform. You have to be motivated to do it. And you can do it out of inspiration or you can do it out of desperation. And I think it's being much more aware all the time that we have choice in everything we do and every opportunity. And it's not, you know, we're not victims to what's happening around us. Some are. Some people are because because of illness or, and I wouldn't call them victims, but some people are in situations they, they can't change, but change what you can. You know, we had a, a group of leaders we worked with in our inter, integral intelligence work. We worked with about 80 leaders in an organization, in cohorts over about three years, in cohorts of, you know, 12 to 16 people over time. And the leaders in this group, and now these were like directors, senior directors, VPs. They said, we have a really terrible meeting culture in this organization. We have way too many meetings, way too many people in these meetings. We're not getting work accomplished. We're not being productive. And we challenged them to be more what we call at cause, uh, to be the drivers of this thing, to change this in their organization. And that group of leaders went out there and changed it. They changed something that they thought was intractable in their culture because they really had the power to do it when they took the responsibility to make it happen. So those are the kind of things I think that responsibility is just is absolutely critical. It's like owning it and doing something about it and creating change wherever you can in, in a powerful way. And how would you apply this to, say, a smaller business owner or an entrepreneur or even a startup? 
I think it's creating a culture of responsibility. And by that, I mean you push decision-making down to the lowest level where it's appropriate in the culture. You allow people to learn and grow from their mistakes instead of so that they can do it better the next time. So you really do create a learning culture in organizations rather than a punitive culture. I think that's critical to helping build responsible organizations. You articulate clearly what expectations are, and you have uh, accountabilities in place for when those expectations aren't met. And and, And it becomes people in the organization holding each other and, most importantly, themselves accountable for meeting those expectations. So I think that particularly in flatter organizations, in new organizations, in startup organizations, in small companies, you know, you, you have to really use every resource you have very wisely and effectively and keep people in, as engaged as possible. So do everything you can as a leader to really call that out in people, to call out their wisdom, to call out their expertise, to call out their genius in the organization. And let them use it. Those are those hidden assets. That's the hidden power. Just may have to mm-hmm. tap into it. If Absolutely. Only they allow it. That's yeah. the key to yeah. the And you have to, mo- you know, the most important thing, Hannah, I think, is as leaders, we have to model this every day. If we want people to be vulnerable, if we want people to be innovative, if we want people to be trustworthy, we have to be vulnerable, um, innovative, and trustworthy ourselves. We have to be engaged. And that's where it comes to this, you know, really accessing and building on all the different intelligences that are available to us as leaders and using those and integrating those in a powerful way. And you just put in this important word, power, not to abuse the power. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I see this as really about unleashing power, and that's very different than trying to exert power. It's a very, very different equation. Well, because you're, you're unleashing the power of the talent pool, which so yes. many HR leaders talk about, as opposed yeah. to, do you know who I am? I've got the corner office. Here's my title. Or, or even somebody in a, a successful startup, you know, I created this, I this, I that. It's not about you. It's about the organization and the people that have helped you succeed. And the yeah. more you suppress that and fail to acknowledge that, the less they're going to be willing to help you move forward. They're not going to be as invested in your success. They're not, and they're, they're going to be disengaged because they're not exactly. able to bring their best, right? And especially if right. you're talking about millennials. You know, I think with millennials, it is so much about contribution and what kind of difference they can make. They're not as motivated as a rule, I'm not saying everybody's this way, by how much money they're going to make. Yeah, the money's important, but it's like a byproduct of being able to really offer everything you can bring to the party. And and when that gets truncated or that gets squelched in some way, that's when people get disengaged and they don't want to be there anymore. And that's when productivity right. really, you know, is lost. In a, in a significant way. And we're talking about 350 to $450 billion a year we're losing in productivity due to employee disengagement right now in the United States. I prefer to think of it as mismanagement because yeah. that is productivity that they're willing to bring to the table, but 
the managers and the supervisors, the business owners, aren't tapping into it sufficiently. In which case, and it's so easy for the employees to say, well, you know, if I can get by doing this and get paid the same, why am I knocking myself out? It's not being valued. It's not being appreciated. So exactly. why am I doing it? So they, exactly. they go by on less. And that means the organization's not getting the full value of what they can bring to the table. And they're not growing as, as an individual, you know. I mean, the, the one thing about employees, it's the one asset that can appreciate over time instead of depreciate. Yes. Absolutely. Tended well. Yes. Which is exactly. what we're talking about here, right? And that all starts exactly. with the self-awareness and the self-insight and the willingness of the leaders who lead those teams and lead those organizations to take ownership of themselves, of of their impact. Is it a positive impact or a negative impact? And what are they going to do to change that if it is a negative impact? And the keys that you lay out in your book, The Thriver's Edge, Seven Keys to Transform the Way You Live, Love, and Lead, spells that out for them. So now, if one of our listeners wanted to do a deeper dive into that book, where would they find it, Donna? The book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's in bookstores. You may need to ask your bookstore if they have it, and if not, they can order it for you. So independent bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon are the best places to get it. Wonderful, wonderful. And if someone wanted to engage your services or get in touch with you about a question, because clearly you have a wealth of experience and information about how to help leaders tap into their own ability to better manage their business, their teams, and reach new levels. How would they do that? What's a good way to contact you? Probably the best way is through email, Donna at positiveimpactllc.com. And I also would like to invite people to take my Thriver quiz if they're interested in thriving and where they, where they land on that continuum on my author website, which is Donna at DonnaStonem.com. Ooh, a Thriver's quiz. Great. So what do yeah. they find out when they take your Thriver's quiz? So it will yeah. t- it will actually give them a readout of where they fall on the continuum of thriving, and it's quick. It's I think it's twelve questions, or it's it's very short. They'll get a readout back of the score and what that means with respect to where they are in the continuum of thriving. That so if you like go fun. to my website donastonham.com to the tab that says the movement, and you click on that, then you can scroll down, and there'll be a place to take the quiz. Okay, so give us that, that website again and how to find your, it's, your uh, it's assessment. It's DonnaStonham.com, and then mm-hmm. there's a tab there that says the movement. If you click on that and scroll down, it'll say take the Thriver quiz. Perfect. Okay, three clicks, you're there. Mm-hmm. And a few more clicks, and you'll find out where you fall on the continuum, so where there'd be room for improvement, right? Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Yeah, and what Excellent. you're doing well. You know, it's, yeah. it's all about what you're doing well, too, and how do, you, how do you leverage that? And keep doing it better. Well, we're yeah. just about out of time, Donna, and I could talk to you for another hour about this topic because I truly think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, leadership is one of my favorite areas and how people can help their team do better, do more, help their clients, customers, patients achieve greater health, wealth, and success. It, it all just keeps building and growing. Uh, and, and leads to more prosperity on all levels. 
but I know we're out of time. So what final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with? Hannah, I think what I'd like to say is that to thrive, it takes a village. (laughs) And it means that we have to pay it forward. As we learn, as we gain wisdom as leaders, what can you do every day to pay it forward so that someone else who follows behind you would be inspired to do the same? And that would be the invitation that I would issue to everyone who's listening to this. What kind of difference can you make in someone else's life to pay it forward to help them have a better life and help them thrive? Wonderful. Donna, thank you so much. I'm grateful for your advice. I'm grateful that you took the time to write this book, The Thriver's Edge. I think that's wonderful. Your insights have been definitely inspiring. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.